0: Hello, everybody. Tracy and Mrs. J-Dog Flanagan with you here today. I am the co-founder and senior vice president of J-Dog Brands, and I would like to welcome you to Tactical Treasures, a podcast sharing the stories of veterans and military family members that have been impacted by specific items in their lives. I will be interviewing voices in the veteran and military family space to search for inconspicuous objects and moments that they turned into tactical treasures for their military career, business, or life. Today, we have a VIP guest with us. I am honored to be speaking with Jim Melio. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. My first podcast.
0: (laughs) Jim, I'm just going to read a little bit of your bio so that our listeners will know a little bit more about you. Jim Melio has been a writer, producer, and director of television and films for more than 30 years. Melio has written, produced, and directed more than 400 hours of primetime television, including Dog Whisperer for National Geographic, Founding Fathers for The History Channel, The Discovery Channel, Eco Challenge Australia, Rescue 911 for CBS, the Emmy nominated Great Moments in Disney Animation for ABC and The Real Las Vegas for A&E. In film, Melia wrote and directed Men's Seeking Women, starring Will Ferro, and was the co-producer of the highest grossing romantic comedy of all time, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. He has won three People's Choice Awards. Dog Whisper, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, and Rescue 911, and has been nominated for several Emmy Awards and Writers Guild Awards. Now he is the director and executive producer of Operation Hidden Treasures, which follows two veteran teams from J Dog Junk Removal and Hauling as they take away unwanted items from home and businesses, then transform them into necessities, keepsakes, and valuables for people in need. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the podcast. Jim, we met three years ago. I know the story and I know what I tell everybody. So I would love to hear from your point of view what you think about our meeting and and what your thoughts were when you first came down here to Philadelphia.
1: Well, I've been, as you said, I've been working in the business for a little bit more than 30 years. And as a producer, uh, you get a lot of people who approach you about, television shows. They go, oh, these people think they're a reality show or this person, you know, whatever. And so we get a lot of that. And, and I think we had, there was a mutual colleague who knew you and me who said, hey, I think you should look into this J-Dog company, their junk removal company, and they're doing some interesting things. And my first thought was, well, I, I don't know how to make a show about junk <laughs> removal. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first thought. And then we met I came to your office and we met, and then I kind of understood why our mutual colleague thought this, because what made the show, what made it real for me was the combination of the fact that it was a veteran-owned and operated business, and that was the the plan for the franchise system, that either veterans or veteran families had to own a franchise, and that one of the goals was to hire as many veterans as possible into the business, which was part one of what made it so intriguing and using the military values to execute the mission, uh, even though the mission was hauling away someone's stuff. And then to me, what kind of put it over the top was the idea that j Dog, instead of just taking all the stuff to the landfill, was on purpose trying to find ways to recycle or repurpose as many of the items as humanly possible. And that to me, told me that there were stories we could then tell of people that had stuff they needed hauled away, but more importantly, the people on the other side who could use these items. And so whether it was, you know, furniture going to help furnish an apartment or a house or toys and games going from, you know, family to maybe a children's hospital or something like that. And I know that you all work with Habitat for Humanity delivering building materials and things like that. That to me then said, I think there's a there there. And that's how it all started.
0: Right. So here's an interesting question for you about that. So I'm a dancer. When I'm not doing J-Dog, I'm dancing. I listen to music. And one of the first things that I start to do is I hear a song and it really strikes me. And then I start choreographing in my head. So you as a producer, I would imagine that you would probably have the same maybe process, um, have an idea think of a show do you start writing the show in your head right away or just i would be interested to hear that you don't want to
1: go in my head tracy don't go in there (laughs) nobody should go in there just for starters
0: oh that that funny that's what jerry tells me all the time you don't want to go in my head honey uh
1: you know it 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 is a process it's kind of like creating a puzzle with a thousand pieces and you know at the beginning you think you see the puzzle. And then as you start working on it, it gets all deconstructed into a zillion little pieces. And then at the end, it gets constructed back into a puzzle again. And that's the final show that people see. The process between, hey, let's do a show about X, Y, Z. In this case, let's do a show about J-Dog and junk removal to Operation Hidden Treasures is a multi-year journey. And uh, it, it takes a lot of kind of trial and error, kind of figuring out what works. And in the end, most television, whether it's reality, nonfiction, or whether it's, you know, fiction that you watch, you're involved with a story and characters. And of course, when you're dealing with nonfiction and reality shows, the characters are real people. And so you have to figure out, okay, well, who are the people that are going to be in the show? What are the stories that we're going to tell? And do they have kind of definitive beginning middle and ends and obviously just the idea of hauling junk away from somebody to then give certain elements of that stuff to somebody else is part of a beginning middle and end storytelling but then but then the question is you know, who are the characters and even though you know I refer to them as characters these are actual live human beings but they're characters in a show and in this case the characters were you and jerry and then uh, Joe Urich and his team, and then Sammy Steinberg and his team, Steinberger and his team in Texas. So first we had to find out, well, who of all the J-Dog franchisees, and by the way, I'm sure there are many other awesome franchisees who could be worthy to be on the show. And ideally, as we move into doing future seasons, we'll be exploring different parts of the country with different J-Dog franchisees. But for the first go around, uh, you know, we, we picked Joe and Sammy, uh, to help us tell the stories. And so that was that's part one of it. Yeah. And then part two is I uh, hired a really awesome supervising producer, Diane Eaton, who I've worked with all the way back to Rescue 911. Uh, and she's a great story finder. So that's the next part of the puzzle is you have to figure out what are the stories we're gonna tell? And you know, J-Dog is out there every day, all these franchisees, doing this on a day-to-day basis, picking stuff up, recycling, repurposing, and and giving away when, you know, however they do it on a daily or weekly basis. But we can't necessarily rely on what's happening every day out there to determine whether or not it would be a good show for a television series. So we put out ads. This is something similar we did on when I produced the Dog Whisper show we put out ads on Craigslist, online, and you know, in, in, in supermarkets, we put up little things in the supermarket billboards saying, do you have a bad dog? Tell us your story and maybe we'll help fix your dog if you agree to be on television. And at that point, nobody knew what Dog Whisper was. And we got a bunch of great stories and we filmed the stories and that became the first season of Dog Whisper. We did something very similar with Operation Hidden Treasures. We mm-hmm. said, do you have stuff you need hauled away? Tell us your story and, and we'll haul it away for free. I'm like, obviously, Jedok normally charges to haul things away, but we'll haul it away for free as long as you let us do it on television. Uh, yeah. And so that's how we found our stories, primarily for season one. Right. I mean, Joe Yurik found us a couple of stories and you all found us a couple of stories. And then we found them through different uh, people. And that's that was part of the storytelling process to make sure that we had stories. So it it wasn't all just, oh, we're picking up furniture and delivering it to somebody. We wanted to show the range of things that were done. J Dog.
0: You know, we did and and to that end, we did find some really, really great, interesting stuff. Um some of it is gonna be auctioned off for our J Dog Foundation, but I, I would love to hear what was your favorite item that was hauled away.
1: Well, t- two stories are, are kind of my favorite stories. Um, and I, One is the church organ story, which is in episode one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I just love this story because it started with a family in Texas that had a huge electric organ in their parlor that had been sitting there for 20 years and nobody in the family played the organ. And so like, why is this organ sitting in this parlor? And it's because... The mom of the family. 20 years ago, a friend said, "Hey, I have this really large church organ, but no place to put it. Can we? Can you store it in your house for a little bit?" And she said, "Okay." And then 20 years later, it's still sitting there, unplayed. So uh, we found uh, through JDOG, we found a church in Austin, Texas, that was super excited to have a church organ because they didn't have one. They had a piano and they wanted to add an organ, and so we literally picked up the organ uh, that morning of the shoot and dropped it off in the afternoon, and the church had arranged for some of their choir members to come, and uh, uh, the, the organ worked, they plugged it in, they brought their organist in, and the choir sang, and I got chills when we were filming it. And even to the point where I sent you, we, we filmed them singing several times, and I filmed part of it and sent it to you, I you and Jerry, and you and you told me you cried. I
0: did. Oh, I did. I was a mess. <laughs> it was it, it was a really touching piece. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm excited for the airing of episode one. I think it'll be really awesome.
1: And I thought if the show worked, it's going to be because of stories like this, that this is, you know, here's something that literally had been sitting for 20 years, unused, and the same day was now in a new place and now had a a home. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that's what I think the kind of the magic of the show is that uh, these people that don't know each other are kind of brought together by an item or items. Mm -hmm. And they, they don't necessarily meet, but uh you know the conduit is J dog
0: right. is
1: the is the messenger kind of yeah thing. so the other the other story which is more of a humorous story is the story of the above ground pool so a family had bought an above ground pool plastic pool that they used during the pandemic and they loved it but they spent all summer playing in it and then the, the next summer the kids were going to go to uh, camp so they didn't have the use for it anymore and so they gave it away and, and the J-Dog guys, Joe and Mark, come and pick it up. And it's like, easy peasy. This is gonna be an easy peasy one. That's, those are the ones I like the best, the ones that seem easy on the surface. <laughs> and then there's a kid who won a contest in his school for having the best attitude. And so he won the pool. And so Joe and Mark come to drop it off at his house and they're just gonna drop it off. We got the fire department, it's gonna fill it with water and life is beautiful. And we go home and they show up in the backyard has a lumpy, bumpy ground, and they can't just lay the pool down. And you know, in, if they were not who they are, they would have just laid the pool down and left, and the pool probably would have sprung a leak and lasted maybe less than a day. And instead, Joe and Mark spent more than an hour digging holes into the yard so they could have a flat surface for this pool and, you know, basically, as they say, they were embracing the suck of what they were doing. <laughs> and, you know, they did the right thing. They, they laid out the pool so this, van, so this boy, this young boy would actually have a pool that would last more than a day. And, and to me, it became kind of a funny story because I was seeing the looks on their face. You know, what's interesting is that these jay doggers that I've worked with, they take everything pretty much in stride. They know that there's an element of their job that, that isn't great. Mm -hmm. but they embrace that part they like you know because the rewards of giving things away kind of makes up more than makes up for it but watching them go oh man this is way more than we ever bargained for but they just did it and obviously at the end the kids were super happy you know everyone felt great about it and to me it's it's one of the more humorous stories yeah kind of play it for humor
0: definitely definitely so So uh, I understand that you might have an item that's special to you, whether physical or maybe just an experience that that has shaped you in in your life or been very special to you. So I would love to hear what that is.
1: Sure. Well, uh, I grew up in a suburb of Chicago in kind of an upper middle class family and one of the interesting things in that era was uh, the cameras that people used for filming were called were regular eight millimeter cameras, and then was also the era where they introduced what they called super eight cameras. And so, what was interesting is my family had a regular eight movie camera, which we would take on vacation or film around the house, but we didn't have a projector, so. I I didn't even realize that, well, well, there's two parts to this process. First you film it, but then you have to show it on something. And we didn't have a projector. So what would happen is once a year, we would go to a neighbor's and borrow their projector and then watch all the movies, home movies that we had filmed across the year. And it was just, I didn't really think about why that was so strange that we didn't, once a year, we would gather and watch all these movies. And then when I was about 12 years old or so, my mom bought my dad for Christmas a Super 8 combo package of a Super 8 camera and a Super 8 movie projector.
0: Oh, so you finally got both of them. <laughs>
1: and he never saw them again. <laughs> I, I glommed onto those things so hard, so fast.
0: Oh, my God. And I
1: just started making movies. Um little movies, little movies with my friends, like a magic show and uh, things like that. And, and I even tried some animated claymation type things because we had a tripod so we could put the camera down. You could take it one frame at a time. And I just fell in love with the movie making process and made films in high school. I was, uh, formed a movie group called Wombat Films with some crazy friends of mine who were in the theater department. And my parents thought this was awesome. And what was great about making a movie in that era is that if you made a movie for class, you got an A. <laughs> you can make the worst movie ever, and I did, but you still got an A for the effort.
0: Oh gosh! <laughs> and,
1: and then I decided I really wanted to do this for a living, and my parents were like, "Oh, don't do that! Don't ruin your life! Do you know, make movies for a hobby, and then you know, have a real job." And I said, "No, I want the movies to be my real job." <laughs> And so I so I eventually went out to California and got a job as a production assistant. I got, worked as a mailboy at 20th Century Fox, which was super fascinating. And then, yeah, and then I did kind of a learn as you earn program and did mostly TV, but a few films.
0: So did your parents ever eventually get on board? Uh,
1: yeah, it took a while. It took a few years. Yeah. They mostly yeah. didn't want me to leave town. You know, um,
0: I think I think every but, parent yeah. is like that,
1: <laughs> right? But yeah, so I, I produced my first movie, a TV movie, when I was 23 years old, and I think that helped them turn the corner. But they were nervous because it's a freelance job. You know, you never know where your next job is coming from unless you're working for a studio or a TV network.
0: Right. And I
1: like right. do going project to project, so that always made them a little bit nervous because sometimes I'd be unemployed.
0: Right. Right. Do you, do you still have this these items? Do you still have? Oh, yeah. Them? Oh, you do? I still, oh, wow. I
1: still have the projector. And I still have, uh, now on DVD, available, you know, only, no, not available. I still have on DVD, my, a bunch of the movies that I made in oh, high wow. school.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. That is really, really neat. That's and I'm really still nice.
1: friends with at least four or five of those people that I made the movies with. They're, we're still friends to this day.
0: Oh, wow. That's great. So um, just bringing it back to Operation Hidden Treasures, you're a military family member, correct? Yes, my dad was in the Army. Oh, wow. Great. Um, So I'll ask you a question and, and see what you think about this. So why do you think it's important for members of the military community to watch the show?
1: Well, you know, one of the things we talked about as we were developing the show is, is and I do this when I develop any show. I, you, first, you start to look at, well, what has been done in the past that's similar or has it been done? And one of the things just in doing the research is that there have been very few nonfiction or reality or documentaries about veterans. So I thought that that's both right. good and bad, because the way TV works is, you know, yes, they want something fresh and new, but not so fresh and new that people can't wrap their heads around it. So you always have to try to have to kind of compare your show to other shows that they've heard of. And of course, once we started developing the show, you know, we said, well, it has like elements of American Pickers, it has elements of Storage Wars, it has elements of, you know, a couple of different shows out there. Uh, So you can say, well, it's kind of like American Pickers, but the twist is you know they give these items away they're not buying them just to to then sell them to a bidder so part of it is you know what how do we describe the show to other people so they understand what the show is and and then also because what what inevitably happens with television executives and and people in the industry is they're always looking for the next big thing but nobody ever knows what the next big thing is and sometimes you you try to uh, make your process easier by attaching a celebrity. You know, you you attach Brad Pitt, you get Reese Witherspoon involved, and all of a sudden, no matter what the idea is, they're suddenly interested. But when you don't have that, when you don't have celebrities, you just have the idea. Here's this new concept. And it's like other things that have been successful, Uh, you know, we had this with Dog Whisper when when the, the most famous dog show prior to Dog Whisper was a show from the BBC uh, with Barbara Woodhouse and had been on like 10 years or more prior to Dog Whisper, but there hadn't really been any kind of dog training shows. So when we went out, we had to say, well, look, it's like this BBC show that was a super big hit, but it's different. So and that's what we're kind of doing with with Operation Hidden Treasures. It's kind of like these other shows that have been successful and run for many seasons, but it's different. And and actually uh, one of the people associated with the show said, "You know, it's like it's like Storage Wars and American Pickers but with a higher purpose." And I think that's true.
0: I I would have to agree with you there. I I, I believe it's true. Um and I think I think if we get the veteran community to get involved and watch the show. And that's that's obviously what we're trying to do along with the rest of America. Um, I, think, I think this will really speak to them as far as watching. Um, there are other veterans that are transitioning out, maybe having a little bit of a tough time, be it, you know, trying to find new mission and purpose in life and here they found it with this J-Dog business. And I think, you know, could say, well, hey, if they did it, maybe I can. So, um, so I think it, it'll hit the military community in a lot of different ways very positively.
1: Well, we hope so. And, and you know, to your, to your point, as I was saying, there are very few shows about veterans. And of course, a lot of times in fiction, you know, the veteran is the person you see who has PTSD, who's shooting up a bank or something. And in reality shows, there's almost no shows out there. So to to have a show where we see veterans doing something really positive, and I like to call it you know, serving America again, Mm -hmm. second time now in their own backyards, uh, I think we'll show people something that's literally happening on a daily basis around the country that they have no idea it's going on, that they're picking up this stuff, but they're not just throwing it in the landfill the easy way. They're actually gonna try to find new homes for this stuff wherever possible. And I think, I think it will give people a sense of pride. You know, it's a, it's a mission, it's a new kind of mission. And I, and I think, yeah, I think a lot of veterans out there who don't, who haven't heard of J-Dog because even though you have all these franchises there's some states you only have one or two and, and, you know, some states, you know you're all over Texas and you're all over Pennsylvania but there's some states where there's only a couple. And I think what's nice is gonna see how a national audience will respond to what J-Dog is doing on a daily basis, whether our cameras were rolling or not.
0: Right. Great points, great points. So I know you have a lot on your plate right now, but is there anything on the horizon for you in the future?
1: Well, what about season two of Operation Hidden Treasures, Tracy?
0: <laughs> I was hoping you would say that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're already, we're already planning. I already have some ideas. I mean, what's, what's, what's really... The interesting thing is I'm really happy with season one and I think I've told you guys, Yeah. You know, it's been an honor to work on this show just to be able to tell these stories. But as, as we work on them, and as I'm in the cutting room and, and working with the editors, I'm seeing all kinds of great ideas that we can do in season two that we didn't even get to touch on. We have, we have such a wide range of stories in season one and we have 20, I think about 20 different stories that we share, but there's so many different types of things that we could have done that we either couldn't because you know they were in a different part of the country or you know we just weren't able to pull it off in this first go around mm-hmm. so I'm actually excited about season two I always felt like season two of Dog Whisper was way better than season one because we had more money we had more time we understood what worked and more importantly we understood what didn't work nice. in the show you know, we shot a couple stories that are ending up not in the show for nobody's fault it just happens you know we're creating a show from scratch and you think you know what it is, but sometimes while you're filming it, the show reveals itself to you. It reveals itself in the editing room as well. And so now I have like a hundred more ideas for season two. So I'm, I'm very excited about season two.
0: Well, I cannot wait to hear those a hundred <laughs> ideas.
1: <laughs> Can I be a hundred? Maybe 94. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't totaled them up.
0: Well, Jim, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pre- pleasure speaking with you. And I am was so excited that you were able to come and be a VIP guest on Tactical Treasures podcast. And thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It was fun.
0: For all the viewers watching, please don't forget to check out Operation Hidden Treasures premiering on Discovery Channel this Sunday, October 10th at 8 a.m. Eastern to see more stories of veterans turning junk to jewels. The new series follows enterprising U.S. military veterans and their families whose mission is to salvage and repurpose otherwise unused items and turn them into hidden treasures for people in need. Every episode will also include a J Dog auction of an intriguing item discovered during a cleanout and made available to bid on by the public via the J Dog website. Profits from every auction are donated to the J Dog Foundation, which helps fund PTSD resources and supports veteran organizations combat combating veteran suicide. There are items currently listed for auctions, so go and take a look on either JDog.com or OperationHiddenTreasures.com to see if one of the items can become your new treasure. Don't forget to follow Operation Hidden Treasures on social media to keep up with Jim and the entire JDog team throughout the first season on Discovery Channel and the American Heroes Channel. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in today. See you soon.